to the mini break, your day podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, October 1st. It may be a new month. It's still the same story in the professional tennis world. We have action happening around the globe. What, of course, I want to do for all of you listeners today is recap the biggest results of the last 24 hours. Our quarterfinals now set at the Masters 1000 level event on the ATP side in Beijing. We know our semifinalists at the 250 event in Astana. We also, of course, can officially crown a champion in Tokyo. And that is where I'm going to start today's podcast. What a stunning week it was from Veronica Kudermatova. The 26-year-old did not come into the week in good form. Nevertheless, she leaves it with a title run. Not only did she knock off Iga Sviantek in the quarterfinals, not only does she survive a three-set thriller against Pavla Chankova in the semis. In the finals, she earns a straight set definitive victory over world number four, Jessica Pagula. Obviously, want to break down the mechanics of that match for all of you listeners today. Talk about what this title run does for Kudermatova moving forward, not only through the rest of the 2023 season, but obviously how this positions her heading into 2024. That's where we're starting the show. After that, we got to spend a lot of time in Beijing in Astana, two fascinating ATP events that see so many of the top players in the world in action. In, of course, Beijing, our quarterfinals are now set. We're getting everything you ask for. How often have I said over the course of the past few weeks, I think the top five players in the world are pretty clear right now. We had four of those players in action in Beijing, in Alcaraz, Medvedev, Sinner, Zverev. Guess what? all four into the quarterfinal round. We'll talk about how each of them got there. We'll talk about their opponents, whether it be Kasparud surviving what was probably the best match of the last 24 hours, his 7-6 in the third victory over Tomas Martin Etchberry. We can talk a little Nicolas Iari, a little Ugo Umber, maybe even some Grigor Dimitrov as well as I continue to make the case that the Bulgarian is in the midst of one of his best seasons on the ATP Tour. Certainly his victory over Holger Runa yesterday, accentuating that fact. Again, plenty Beijing to discuss. We do have a few women's results from Beijing. I'm going to save those for tomorrow, just for those of you curious why I'm not offering my thoughts on Sabalenka's win over Kennan. It was destruction. Sabalenka looks more and more like a world number one with every passing match, so... There's some brief thoughts there. Kalinina fighting through that Vandrusova match after she gets blitzed in the first set for her to win that at all. I was certainly stunned. Ostapenko was bad. She survived in three sets. Those were the matches I've watched thus far on the women's side in Beijing. Again, we can leave all of this in West Up. Those are my Beijing women's thoughts for now. We'll do a full breakdown of the women's Beijing draw for all of you listeners tomorrow. Anyways, I want to focus on the men's side of things here on this show. Of course, in Astana, our semifinals are now set as well. Sebi Korda, third semifinal in his last four events. We'll talk about how he got there with his win over Greek Spore. We can talk Manorino, the 35-year-old Frenchman in the midst of a career, yes, career season. Medvedevich, Ofner, we'll break down how all of our semifinalists got there. Again, what I want to do for all of you listeners here on today's show is not only wrap up all the storylines from the weekend, but again, begin to preview what will be early championship, uh, early week championship action, excuse me, 
on the ATP Tour. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners and, of course, because of the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Also, not only would I point all of you listeners in the direction of the Great Shot podcast feed, the Cracked Interviews podcast feed for more content, I also want to point all of you in the direction of an event we have starting Wednesday on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Now, I bring up this stat all of the time. Right now, 15 players in the ATP Top 100 singles rankings, excuse me, 14 this week in the Top 100, 36 Top 100 doubles players. On the women's side, you have 16 Top 100 doubles players, I believe five Top 100 singles players, but obviously we've seen the recent rise of players like Navarro, Stern, Schneider, feels like that number is only going to increase over the course of the next few years. You want to know who those future college stars transitioning to the pros might just be? Check out our Crack Rackets YouTube channel starting Wednesday this week. We've got one of the premier individual college events. It's the ITA All-Americans happening in Tulsa for the men, Cary, North Carolina for the women. We'll have coverage first ball to last of the event. Again, starting Wednesday all the way through Championship Sunday. We'll have coverage pretty much all day long, folks. So again, you'll want to check out our action. Be sure to join us again. ITA All-Americans broadcast starts Wednesday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Got to do better advertising some of the things we have on our YouTube channel because not enough of you check it out and what super producer Daniel Westoff's capable of doing with our broadcast, with our video content. It's stellar. So again, check out the YouTube channel. Be ready for the All-Americans starting this Wednesday. That said... New month, same story. Let's get into the last 24 hours in the tennis world. Let's put that final bow on Tokyo first. Wow, was Veronica Kudermatova good in her 7-5-6-1 victory over Jessica Pagula? Now, it helped that for another consecutive match, Pagula just could not find the service box with her first serve. You look at the stats in this one, Pagula making just 46, 45.6 if we want to be specific, percent of her first serves you want to put that context in even greater uh put that number in even greater context she made just 26 first serves in this match 26 first serves that's tough I don't care who you're playing you're putting yourself in a deficit right away with that number and it was a credit to Kudermatova who by the way won 15 of those 26 first serve return points she faced she also uh, again a pretty decisive Look on the second serve she goes overall in the match, uh, I believe four of five on her breakpoint chances. She went after the return of serve, and she went after every forehand she got a look at shoulder height, redirecting that ball down the line, inside in. The amount of pressure she put on Pagula in this match was absolutely stunning, and Look, Kudermatova goes up an early break. She connects on a couple of returns of serve to get that early break. And I do wonder if there, you know, that first serve percentage for Pagula, is it so low because she felt pressure to hit the serve or at least attempt to hit the serve a little bit bigger, knowing that Kudermatova was A, seeing that ball like a grapefruit, and B, hitting it so aggressively on that first strike. Certainly, you have to imagine that played some sort of factor. Pagula broken, again, Right away early, goes down 3-1 in that opening set. Now, credit to her. She fights back. She does get that break back. She grinds through some really tough service games to get to 5-all. 
Kudermatova finds the hold and break there, and it ends on a double fault for Pagula at 30-40 in her 5-6 service game. But that double fault was just brewing, again, given her lack of success on the first serve, given how much pressure she felt to, you know, again, get that second serve deep in the box because Kudermatova was stepping forward on every return that she hit. From there, Kudermatova just separated again, took that first set, didn't let her foot off the gas pedal, and just continued to swing so freely. Now, it was an off day for Jessica Pagula, who, after looking so good against Sakari in the semifinals, this was a bit of a shocker. No doubt about that for JPEG. Does it matter in terms of big picture how I feel about Pagula? Absolutely not. Her run to this final clinches her spot in the WTA Tour Finals this season. It'll be a second consecutive appearance for Pagula. Well-deserved. She's clearly been one of the eight best players in the world for at least the past two seasons. What a win, though, for Veronica Kudermatova. And again, what has otherwise been a pretty seemingly uninspiring season, loses second-round Australia, loses first-round Roland Garros, where she was a quarterfinalist last year, second-round Wimbledon, albeit to Van Drusseva, first round straight sets to Para at the U.S. Open. And yet, despite winning, what, two matches at the Slams this season, she still finds herself 16 in the live rankings as of this result, 15th in the points race. She's now 32 and 19 overall in the season, solid 63% win percentage, which, by the way, again, you look at her last three seasons, she's gone 58%, 66%, now back up to 63%. She's exceeded 32 level victories in each of the last three seasons, which is not an easy number to clear. That means you usually, if you're earning 30 wins, you're one of the 25 best players in the world. I mean, look, Kudermatova has had some serious nadirs this year, but she's also had some real peaks. Finals in Den Bosch, now a title here in Tokyo. I mentioned this number, I believe, on yesterday's show, but you know, Kudermatova's made nine quarterfinals so far this season. She's now made six different semifinals, two different finals. Yes, it was uninspiring at the majors, but the stat I will continue to point to with her victory over Pagula here, she's now six and three against the top 10 this season. How does that win percentage compare to her peers in the top 50 against their fellow top 10 opponents? Again, now 6-3 and three overall is Kudermatova so far this season. The only players with more top 10 victories than her? None. Absolutely no one has more top 10 victories than Kudermatova now. Sviantek, 6-7 and seven overall. Sabalenka, 6-4 and four overall. Coco Goth, 6-4 and four overall. Now you have Veronica Kudermatova, 6-3 and three overall against top 10 opponents this year. Again, you want to look at her top 20 number as well because that metric's pretty impressive. Kudermatova now, 7-5 and five against the top 20. That number just outside the top 10 in terms of overall top 20 wins where, again, Sviantek, Sabalenka lead the pack. They each have 15 wins against top 10 opponents. I, I, I mean, you know, again, I just did a podcast with David Kane. Stock up, stock down, stock hold. Who in the rankings right now do you look to maybe see make big pushes or fearful drops down the rankings to end this season to start next year. Kudermatova to me seemed like a pretty obvious drop just given the rise of some young talent and her lack of success at the major events this season. And yet then she goes out, beats two of the three best players in the uh, four best players, five best players in the world in Iga and Pagula. What a week 
what a run. What a significant reminder that her weapons, when she's in form, are as exceptional as just about anyone on tour. And again, finding plan B, plan C, a little bit harder for Kudermatova, but there was a physicality she injected into all of her matches this week, a discipline on the forehand side, and then Again, still that ability to snap off a winner at a moment's notice and flatten things out through the court. A great week for Kudermatova. Again, Pagula clinched her spot in the tour finals. She made the final this week, gets wins over Sakari Kasakina, drops a total of six games and four sets between those two matches. She served pretty poorly all week long, failed to eclipse the 50% first serve percentage mark in three of her four matches on the week, but still made a final, still number four in the world think you're feeling pretty good if you're Jessica Pagula heading into the season's home stretch. That's the action. Again, your wrap-up of what happened in Tokyo. Your reminder, semi-finalists there, of course, Pavlichenkova, Sakura, your other quarterfinalist, Sviantek, Alexandrova, Garcia, Kasatkina. A reminder, and we went through this yesterday, on Jabur winning the undercard 250 event in Ningbo. Jabur straight sent over Diana Schneider, the talented teenage Russian, former NC State All-American in the final. We broke down that match on yesterday's show. So if you're looking for some further thoughts on Jabur, be sure to go check that podcast out. That said, let's move over to the men's side of things where, again, we already have action underway in Beijing. In fact, our quarterfinals are now set, and what a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating set of quarterfinals we have. Again, who is... I, I mean, who's the sixth best player in the world? I think that's one of the biggest questions on the men's side that we have down the season's home stretch because Zverev has returned to consistency, semifinals RG, quarterfinals US Open, 500 level title in Hamburg, wins that title last week and you know grinds out three sets wins over Schwartzman, Davidovich, Fokina just to get to these quarterfinals. I think he has pretty solidly cemented his spot not only back at the top of the actual rankings, where he now finds himself 10 in the world, closing in on Casper Root at 9. He finds himself 7th in the points race. That gap between he and 8th place Hogaruna, 9th place Taylor Fritz, even 10th place Casper Root, growing by the day. I think the top five is pretty clear. Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, Sinner, Zverev. The question is, who is number six? And Again, I think there's a handful of players you can make a case for. I think it's so fascinating right now. You look at the the advanced metrics, of course, I always love to look at, offered by our friends at Tennis Abstract. Who are the players right now who rank top 10, 15, 20, 25 in both hold and break percentage? The top five in the metrics are the same top five I'm alluding to. Top 10 in both hold and break percentage, Djokovic, Alcarez, Sinner. Top 15 in both hold and break percentage, Medvedev, Zverev. After that... I think you have the nine candidates for the sixth best player in the world right now. You look at the top 20 club, Karen Hatchinov, who, of course, is still coming off of injury but wins a title last week, his first in five years. And I know he lost three sets here to kick off his tournament. Uh, Gets knocked off in a testy first-round match with, I'm blanking on who he faced, Lorenzo Musetti, but... He belongs in that conversation. Grigor Dimitrov, quarterfinalist here in Beijing, 3-5 and five over Holgaruna in what was some brilliantly physical tennis. I mean, Dimitrov is just getting in and out of corners as well as he had us at any point in his career. You can even go back to that 2017 season and, you know, for him to semifinal last week in Chengdu, 
Now quarterfinals here in Beijing obviously played a fascinating four-set match, losing third round to Zverev in New York. What, he made semifinals in D.C. as well, round of 16 Wimbledon. He's just having an exceptional season. He's got 32 victories at the tour level this year. That's his most since 2017 when he had 49 Obviously, he had 50 back in 2014 as well, but that was playing a lot more 250s than he probably has of late. And maybe more than anything, you look at Grigor Dimitrov, he's back inside the top 20 of the rankings, up to number 19 in the live rankings. He's currently sitting at 17th in the points race. He's clearly been one of the 20 best players in the world this season. And I don't think you could say that about him the past three years you look for Dimitrov now 33-17, and 17, so winning about two-thirds of his matches into what is now his seventh, seventh quarterfinal of the season. Not too shabby for the 32-year-old. Again, was just so measured against Holgaruna, hitting his forehand and backhand so well out of the corners, protecting his first serve so well, snapping through his forehands inside in, inside out. He's just in control of all of the weapons. And when he's moving this fluidly, we know how exceptional of a ball striker Grigor Dimitrov can be. Now, again, I think Holger physically, this is as healthy as he's looked since before Wimbledon, since the bulk of the clay court season, got the really good win over FAA round number one. Again, I thought he fared well in this match against Dimitrov, but look, it was just one of those days for Grigor on serve. I think he surrendered one break, yeah, on two break point chances, made 60% of his first serves, won 79% of those first serve points. He was in control. He was playing on his terms. He was able to jam Runa with just depth that Runa was not prepared for, and it just felt like the majority of the errors were mishits off of Holger Runa's racket. And again, that's a testament to how well Dimitrov was striking the ball. He's through to the quarterfinals. He's got a date with the Sin Man. The Sin Man bouncing back from the three-set Dan Evans win. Dominant in a two-in-love victory over Yoshihito Nishioka. You look for Yannick Sinner now overall on the season. Again, just a very, very quiet 46-13, 78% win percentage. That 46 mark, he's four wins away from his career high in single-season victories at the tour level. You know he's going to pass it here this season despite the fact that he has dealt with some injuries. He's now into quarterfinal number 12 overall on the season. I mean, he's going to make the tour finals. I don't think he's clinched his spot already, but he's 450 points away from doing so. We're going to see the Sin Man, who's currently fourth in the points race, by the way, in Turin this year. I mean, that ball is just on in his strike zone. That heavy topspin was right there for him to pounce through. Sinner's played exceptional ball all year long. He really has. He just would have been the bad losses. Like, okay, he lost... To Bublik and Hala, but he had to retire in that match. He lost to Dushan Lajevic in Cincinnati, but he won Canada the week prior. Again, there are only 13 losses to choose from this year. I guess he didn't have the greatest grass court stretch in pre-Wimbledon. And yeah, okay, the Roland Garros five-set loss to Altmaier. That's a bad loss. That's it. It's the only bad loss he's really had in what has been, again, an exceptional season for the 22-year-old overshadowed, of course, by the fact that his number one competitor moving forward, Carlos Alcaraz, has two majors already and won another one this season. Gets a five-set win over Djokovic, obviously, but Sinner got his first 1,000-level title. It was, it has been a step forward for Yannick Sinner, even if it was a smaller step, but there's not that many steps left for him to climb. There's really just one left. Win that first slam title. Again, he's going to get a shot at the big dogs here this weekend, taking on Grigor, who he's one and one against. 
look, all these matchups are exceptional. I mean, Alcaraz played the most fun a 6-2, 6-2 scoreline match can be against Lorenzo Musetti in the round of 16. Alcaraz, again, advancing to the quarterfinals. You look at his record. We don't talk about this enough. It's a breathtaking 60-7. and He has won 90% of his matches. He turned 20 years old in May. Again, here are the players who have won 90% of their matches in a single season. Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, Borg. That's your list. Alcaraz at 20. What are we doing here, folks? He's into his 13th quarterfinal of the season. You just look at where these quarterfinals are. U.S. Open, Wimbledon, French Open, the three majors he played. Indian Wells, Miami, Madrid, Canada, Cincinnati, now Beijing. Six 1,000-level events. By the way, he's 11-1 and one in quarters thus far. His only loss, that three-set thriller to Tommy in Canada. So he's made 11 different semifinals. He's made eight different finals this year. How many first matches of events has he played? He's played 14 events, according to my numbers this season. 14 different events this year, and he's made the quarterfinals of 13 of them. What are we doing? What are we doing here? Like, look... The GOAT race is still a debate, and here's why. Djokovic is clearly, clearly, clearly in the lead. But man, Carlos Alcaraz, and again, I'm having fun, listeners, uh, relax. He ain't eliminated from the GOAT race yet. You do this at age 20, I mean, is this the best age 20 season we've ever seen? And he still has a fourth slam, a major in Australia to play through. He's made at least the semis of all of them. What are we doing here? Uh, we don't talk enough about how ridiculous, how ridiculous this 2023 season has been for 20-year-old Carlos Alcaraz. So there's your Alcaraz appreciation moment. I haven't done enough of that of late. He has a fascinating match coming up against Casper Ruud. Of course, U.S. Open Finals rematch. He's 3-0 against Ruud in the career head-to-head. You look for Casper, who survives against Tomas Martin Echeverry, 1-6-7-5-7-6. It was the highest quality tennis I saw all day. I mean, the physicality and... I've, I've said it before. I'll say it again. There's a lot of similarities between the two of them. I think Echeverry flattens out the ball a little bit more. I think Casper a little bit more consistent with his return of serve. But sometimes Echeverry can amp up the juice a little bit more than than Casper can. And his ability to flatten out that backhand in particularly, it just – it gave Echeverry, uh, excuse me, gave Rude fits in set number one, and it was a credit to Casper Rude, who started hitting his forehand more aggressively, who started swinging through his backhand with just more chutzpah. Rude, of course, four love down in the breaker. Echeverry missing a couple of backhands by centimeters, has a net court go against him when he could have gotten a mini break for six four. Instead, it became five all. Fights off a set point within a a match point, excuse me, with one of the most electric backhand cross-court winners I have seen all year. If you're going to go watch one highlight package from the many available on Tennis TV from the past 24 hours or, you know, the WTA channel as well, go watch the Atchevery Rude fourth set break, uh, third set breaker. Honestly, go back and watch that match because uh, you don't have to watch the first set. You really only have to watch the third. I mean, the second was really good as well, but if you watch the third, you'll know what I'm talking about. Ugh. This is good tennis. Again, this is the best I've seen Casper play maybe since Paris, and 
you know, again, you look for a Kasparud who so far this season, you look at the overall record, he's now into the quarterfinals uh, of an event here for what I believe is the seventh time of this season. You look for him the past couple of years. He made 11 quarterfinals last year, 13, 14 quarterfinals back in 2021. Again, only his seventh quarterfinal of this season. Now, two of them have come at 1,000-level events in Beijing and Rome. Obviously, he finals Roland Garros as well, but kind of needs this run to hold on to his spot in the top 10. There's a big delta between he and Francis Tiafo, no doubt. Uh, Root in ninth, Tiafo in 11th, but Zverev's coming for that number nine spot. And, you know, again, you look in the points race right now, Kasparud 10th overall. He's 200 points ahead of 11th place Alex Diemenauer, but I'm doing quick math in my head. 395 points behind Holger Rune for eighth. He wins another match. That becomes, what, five? Uh, sorry, I'm doing 305 points. He's not out of it. He's not out of it. After we what we just saw Sakari do in Guadalajara and given again, Paris, Vienna, etc. still available as events. Look, Kasparud's got a little bit of a streak going, right? Doesn't he? You look for him back in 2020. That's the last season he didn't make the year-end finals, right? He did it in 2021, did it in 2022. He made the finals of the tour finals last year, so that's a nice little chunk of points he still has to defend this season. Out of contention right now, but gets through to a big quarterfinal bout with Alcaraz. I do wonder how much Rude will have left in the tank because, again, that match with Echeverry, exceptionally physical, two-hour, 57 minutes of tennis. Still, Alcaraz, Rude, Alcaraz, three love in the career head-to-head. Again, Dimitrov, Sinner, 1-1 in the career head-to-head. Sinner, a 71.6% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. Bottom half we talked about yesterday, Zverev versus Yari. Zverev, 3-2 in the career head-to-head there. Yari's got some big weapons, man. And to see him survive, by the way, against qualifier Matteo Arnaldi, who I haven't talked about enough about, the 22-year-old Italian up to a new career high, 42 in the live rankings, he can scoot. Like, he's got some freaking wheels to get around the court. Again, when he lands the first serve, he's comfortable stepping inside the baseline, taking a ball down the line. I've really been impressed with what I've seen from Matteo Arnaldi of late, who's backed up his U.S. Open run by consolidating his top 50 spot. And again, he's just twitchy. I'm in on him as an athlete. I still want to see a little bit more, but he's I haven't seen a definitive weakness in his game. He's good at everything. The big man, Yari, just kept swinging, though. And after giving away a break lead in sets one and two, he wins a breaker in set number two, You know, gets the one break and holds on the rest of the way in set number three. Good run for Yari. Continues his career season back, obviously, from the suspension a few years prior. He'll take on Zverev. Ugo Umber versus Medvedev. Oh, my God, was Umber good. Another fantastic match to go watch. Umber, Rublev, 7-6 in the third. Remarkably physical, given how hard each of those guys hits the ball. Umber's 2-0 in the career head-to-head with Daniil Medvedev, who, of course, is whom he will face in the quarterfinal round now. You want to know the history of their matchups. ATP Cup, Umber, 7-6 in the third. Hamburg on clay in 2020. Umber, 4-3 over Medvedev. I don't know if you want to count that one. Again, Medvedev's moving so well right now, but 
he likes to be patient. He likes to play with his food. And the one thing you cannot give Ugo Umber is time because if you give Umber time, he's just going to swing so freely. The consistency Umber showed under the relentless pressure and pace of Andre Rublev, I haven't seen Umber play that consistently before against that sort of opponent. Again, the 25-year-old back up to number 34 in the live rankings as of reaching the quarterfinals in this event. If he wins his next match and Adrian Manorino loses, Umber will be 19 points behind Manorino and one win away from overtaking him as the highest-ranked Frenchman in the ATP singles rankings. Again, the lefty just has weapons. He takes big cuts. He plays on his terms. He has the gumption, the playing style, to beat Daniil Medvedev. Yet with what I'm seeing from Medvedev right now, I think we're getting the four best players in, of, of the five in the world, the four best players in this event. I think it's going to be Alcaraz Sinner. I think Zverev's going to win, what, a seventh or eighth consecutive match. He wins a title last week. I think he wins this one over Yari. I think we get him versus Medvedev, which is sneakily one of my favorite matches. And again, talk about the cross-next-gen generational rivalries. Alcaraz versus Sinner, Zverev, Medvedev as semifinals. Most of you listeners, I imagine, either have day jobs or obligations on Monday uh, on Monday night and Tuesday morning that would prevent you from doing so. I'll tell you what, if it's Alcaraz versus Sinner, Zvira versus Medvedev, my promise to you listeners, I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to tweet through those results because we don't have ITA All-Americans till Wednesday. And once we do that, we'll be a little less uh, pro-focused next week. If those are the matchups, be ready for just a wave of tweets coming from me because I think I'm going to live tweet my way through those two matchups, two of my favorite rivalries on the ATP Tour. Right now, according to the numbers, Alcaraz 36.8% favored to win the event, Medvedev 31-3, Sinner 15-8, Zverev 11-2. The numbers say it, the eye test says it. Those are the four best players in the event, but again, if you're asking me who do I think is least likely of those four to win— I'll go with Sinner just because Grigor's playing that well right now. He's moving that well in the corner still. The pace Sinner presents, I just feel like every time Dimitrov slices, he's going to be at a deficit. Sinner might have him on a string. I think the four, the, I think the four favorites advance. Again, I think it's going to be a very, very fun ending in Beijing. And even if the four favorites don't advance, we got a lot of good bites at the apple. So that's what's going on in Beijing, our first big breakdown of that 1,000-level event. Let's move on now to Astana, our undercard ATP event, where we've got a fun set of semifinalists, no doubt about it, for Seppi Korda. He's now won th- uh, made the semifinals in three of his last four events, 21 and 12. Overall on the year, obviously dealt with a bunch of different injuries, and yet despite playing just 33 matches, he's sitting at 27 in the live rankings. He's sitting at 33 in the points race. Obviously helps that he made the Australian Open quarterfinals to start the year. You look for Sebi Korda overall this season. He has played 14 different first matches at events. He's now made the quarterfinals at six of those 14 events, semifinals at four, uh, excuse me, at five of them. It's not too shabby. Again, for a guy who I just don't know what to make of his season. For what it's worth right now, Sebi Korda, one of the, I'm doing quick math here, four, three, seven, plus seven, 14 players. There are 14 players who rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. And just to finish that thread, because... I think of this list of 14, one of these guys is the sixth best player in the world. Again, Djokovic, Elkres, Sinner, top 10 in both hold and break percentage. Medvedev, Zverev, top uh, 15. Hatchinov, Dimitrov, top 20. 
and then Fritz, Tiafo, Runa, Rublev, Rude, Korda, and Struff. That's your top 25 in both hold and break percentage. I mean, you cross off Struff. He's too injured to qualify. You probably cross off Korda as well, although I do think his month of January was as good as anyone on the list, not in the top five. Makes the quarterfinals, beats Medvedev in Australia, obviously had match point on Djokovic in Adelaide or whatever event that was. I mean, you see his size. Again, these slow, high-bouncing hard courts are perfect for him in Astana. He's been broken once in each of his three matches. Three set wins over Popperin, Greek Spore, straight sets over Borges to get to the semifinals. We'll do a big deep dive on what Sebi Korda is doing particularly well on court tomorrow. He's taking on 20-year-old Hamad Medvedevic. I said this earlier in the week, Medvedevic has serious size. And the 20-year-old Serbian working with this Victor Troisky, of course, former top 15 player, he's up to number 105 in the live rankings. He's into his second tour-level semifinal of the season. He won a challenger last week, so now he's won eight consecutive matches heading into this semifinal. You look for him overall on the season. Medvedevic now 42-18, and 18, 70% win percentage. 20-year-old's got size, he's got weapons, he's got touch, the ability to move forward, play the drop shot. I still don't know how fluid of a mover he is. I don't think these courts are the best barometer of that because, again, this is one of the slower surfaces we have in all the game. I'm excited to see those two big boys do battle. Korda versus Medvedevich. Korda is 71.3% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. That's your top half draw. Bottom half, Sebastian Ofner has played the best tennis these past two days, and these are just perfect conditions for him where he has time to utilize his big forehand backswing, get under the ball, get outside of the ball. He just had Dominic Team on a string. Really should have won the first set. Ultimately drops it. Team escapes. Team played pretty well this week, but in the end, Ofner 5-7-6-4-6-2 gets his first win over his Austrian compatriot in his fourth try. It's been a great year for Sebi Ofner. 27-year-olds had a new career high, 49 in the live rankings as a result of this run. You look for Ofner overall in tour-level action uh, so far this season. Hilarious that he's just 9-9, nine and nine, but he's made the quarterfinals in two of those events. He obviously made a round of 16 at Roland Garros this season as well. He's played a lot of challenger events, and in that challenger action, he's 37-13. and 13. So far this season, he's made six different finals where he's won one title. He's made, I believe, what that means, at least, yeah, 10 challenger quarterfinals overall this year. Mix in a couple tour-level successes with just significant amounts of challenger-level success. We saw it with Greek Spore a couple years ago. We saw it with Bonzi a couple of years ago. We saw it with Shelton at the end of last season and working his way into this season. Eubanks as well. This is the latest example, Sebastian Ofner showing that level at the Challengers and seeing how quickly that translates to the ATP Tour. Fantastic result for Ofner again into the semifinals here, into the top 50 of the live rankings for the first time in his career. 27 years old in the proverbial prime, uh, not a bad spot to be. He'll take on Adrian Manorino. How about this for Manorino? And I know Davis Cup wins are included in the tennis abstract number, but he's now 36-25 and 25 overall this season. Those 36 wins would be the most for him in any tour-level season that he's played. 
Again, 35 years old. He's the highest-ranked Frenchman in the world right now. He's currently sitting at number 30 in the live rankings, eight off his career high. He's been so good down the season's home stretch, really since the start of the grass court season. Quarterfinals Queens Club, quarterfinals Den Bosch, finals Majorca, finals Newport, quarterfinals Cincinnati, now semifinals in Astana. So what, he's made quarterfinals and or further in three, four out of five, four out of six, four out of seven, five out of eight, five out of nine, six out of his last 10 events. Not too shabby for the 35-year-old Frenchman. Again, playing slow, high-bouncing, hard-court tennis. This is a guy who, in his career, and shout out, as always, to our friends at uh, Tennis Abstract who make it easy to look up this number. In his career, Adrian Manorino's 10-10 and 10 at Indian Wells, which to me is the best equivalent I can make for the conditions in Astana. And he's through to the semifinals this week. It just speaks to he's found something, a discipline, a, a wave of momentum, of form, and he has ridden it all year long. Again, credit to Adrian Manorino into the semifinals in Astana. A date with Ofner awaits right now. Korda, the favorite, 41.3%. Manorino, 374 The tennis abstract singles forecast would be shocked if either Medvedevich or Sebi Ofner takes the title. That said, again... New month, same story on the ATP Tour. And I know there are a couple other things I was monitoring this week. Shout out to Abdullah Shelby, youngest player from Jordan. I believe maybe even the first player from Jordan to capture an ATP Challenger title. He knocks out Oliver Crawford. We'll talk about that result more tomorrow. I haven't followed the Jack Draper, Thomas Mycheck match yet, but it's on my list of things to do here on Sunday. And again, we'll be back tomorrow to talk WTA Beijing as well to offer uh, recaps of what happens in the semifinals in Astana, quarterfinals in Beijing. We got a lot of good action to discuss down the home stretch of this 2023 season. And of course, we will be back every day to do so here on the Mini Break Podcast feed. Why are we able to record each and every day? Because of the tireless efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who as always has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out to him, a shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With all all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.